Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Principles of Biblical Teamwork by Mark Patch. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, how blessed are we that we can join with each other this morning in celebrating you. We praise you, Father, for your mercy and your love. Just pray that as we listen to this message this morning, Lord, that we take it in your love, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Sean gave us a bit of an insight into his vision for the church over the next 12 months or so. Interestingly, and it's often very interesting the way God works in these things, three weeks ago I wrote the bones of what I want to talk to you about this morning, but it has a lot to do with what Sean talked about last week. In many respects, it's the machinery that will make that work. I want to talk to you about the principles of biblical teamwork. Now, to do that, I'm going to use Nehemiah chapter 3. So, you won't want to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 3. Because Nehemiah chapter 3 is right up there with the begats in Genesis. It's right up there with the numbers in the book of Numbers. It is, as described by some authors, a monotonous list of tasks allocated. And that's exactly what it is. Now, the thing about that is, some of you might know that I am a professional project manager. I love monotonous lists of tasks <laughs> allocated. There's nothing I like more than to delegate a monotonous list of tasks to a bunch of people in my project team so that they will make it happen. And so when I saw this list of monotonous tasks, God said to me, here it is. Here's, here's the subject of your talk. And I'm thinking, how could that possibly be true? What can we learn about... Oh, sorry, shouldn't walk there. What, what can we learn about a monotonous list of tasks allocated? And what we can learn is a lot about teamwork and the essential nature of teamwork. Oh, unfortunately, I'm getting old. I've got to wear glasses to even read my own notes. So it's difficult to achieve complex tasks without teamwork. Everyone must be willing to participate, and that's a really important point. Everybody must be willing to participate. Pastor Sean, last week, talked about the fact that we can't be Sunday morning Christians. We've got to be full-on 24-7. We've got to be participating 24-7. And here we have an opportunity for you to participate, maybe not 24-7, but certainly seven days a week. Successful organisations get things accomplished through teamwork. There is an old saying that there is no I in the word team, and this means that everybody is important and no one is more important in a team than anyone else. Hence my reference to Nehemiah chapter 3. So let's start by understanding what teamwork really means. Teamwork is the combined effective action of a group or team to achieve a common goal. It means sharing a common ideal, embracing that common goal, and working together confidently and trustingly. 
Trust is an interesting thing. We talk often about the fact that teams are built on trust with one another. And then you hear people say, well, it's going to take a while for me, for you to be able to earn my trust. As many of you would know, my background is 30 years in the Australian Defence Force. In the Defence Force, the way it works is, I give you my trust and you have the ability to earn my distrust. Could you imagine two Anzac soldiers standing in a trench about to go over the top and one says to the other, it's going to take a while for you to earn my trust. (laughs) Doesn't work in the Defence Force. Doesn't work in a church. Don't have to take a while to earn somebody's trust. You give them your trust. Now, they can still earn your distrust, trust me, because there's plenty of people would say that churches, like any organisation, is a place where you can earn somebody's distrust. So we'll talk about that as well. So we share this common goal. We work together confidently and trustingly. True teamwork is a two-way street where we reach out to help colleagues and we are just as open to reaching out to receive their support. It's the fuel that allows common people to produce uncommon results. It's just a long word for the term success. Teamwork is not limited to a specific area of life. It is essential in almost every context of our life, whether it's in our families, our churches, our workplaces, or even our sporting teams. In sports, individual talent alone cannot win championships. One individually talented player does not win a team championship. It is the collective effort of the team that leads to success. In families, each member has a role to play in creating a harmonious and happy environment. Churches thrive when members work together to fulfil the vision and mission of the church. And we all know that in workplace, teams are essential to enhancing productivity and job satisfaction, but that's just as true here in church. Who's familiar with the Pareto Principle? Anyone understand? Harold puts his hand up at the back. What's the Pareto Principle, Harold? You're right. So the Pareto Principle was first developed by an Italian economist, Wilfredo Pareto, in the late 1900s. Uh, late 1800s, I'm sorry, 19th century. What he discovered was 80% of the wealth in Italy was held by 20% of the population. But then he went even further. He started thinking, well, maybe this has got applications elsewhere as well. And when he went looking, he was a keen gardener, as it turns out, and when he went looking in his garden, what he found was that when the perennials died off, 20% of the perennials produced 80% of the next year's flowers. So he started thinking, this has got some wider applications. Now, it's got a lot of positive applications, and there are many different ways. So... um, The idea is that 
If you focus on the 20% of most important aspects of the task at hand, you will deliver 80% of the outcome that you require. That's the concept of the Pareto principle. It's called, often called the 80-20 rule. But it has other applications as well. The Pareto principle is a concept that has been shown to be powerful when applied to many areas of life, including business and relationships, learning and marketing, to name a few. I use it in project management almost on a daily basis because what I'm always looking for when I'm helping organisations to improve the way that they deliver projects is I want to find that 20% of effort that will improve their output by 80%. I want, to, I want to find the 20% because if I focus on that 20%, and now I can't focus on it with the exclusion of all other things, but if you focus on that, that's what they commonly call the low-hanging fruit. It's the stuff that you can deliver early and immediately improve the performance of the organisation. So this is something that is really... I, I get into a lot. So the key to the printer to the Pareto principle is to identify that around 20% of one's actions on the most productive tasks lead to the most success. And this principle requires and enables us to spot the few important things that are happening and ignore the mass of unimportant things. Now, essentially, if we spend a short amount of time on what is really important, this will yield greater results than focusing on as many things as we possibly could. So for us here at the Rock Church... The Pareto Principle has got a number of important applications. Firstly, as individuals and as a church, we need to ensure that we focus on the important things of God. That's the 20%. And not on the things of the world, which is the 80%. Secondly, we need to understand that the principle applies to the work undertaken within the church. Now, the truth is, and it's been mentioned that I am the president of the management committee, but I'm also an elder of the church. And the truth is, in organisations like this, church or not-for-profit, 80% of the volunteering effort is undertaken by the members of the church is completed by 20% of the membership. So Sean last week encouraged us not to be Sunday Christians. He encouraged us to be committed to the church. If you want to make this your home you need to be committed to it. And what the Pareto Principle tells us is that if we look around this room, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. So what I want to encourage you to do is if you're not in that 20%, then let's make it 50-50 or 60-40 so that we are sharing the load. Absolutely crucial to the success. So thirdly, we have the opportunity to change this by actively seeking to participate and offer our unique skills as a team member in those programs that interest you. Teamwork is the key to this church being the disciples, for us individually being the disciples that we can be, but for this church to reach out into the community and take Christ into the community. Teamwork is crucial. It is the engine for it to happen. So let's look at some examples of biblical teamwork. Throughout the Bible, we find stories of people working together as teams to achieve 
a mission. From Adam and Eve to Noah and his family, from Moses and his team of leaders to Jesus and his 12 disciples. Teamwork is a recurring theme right throughout the Bible. And God acknowledges the power of unity that he's created in a team. When a team is united in speech, actions, thoughts, goals and visions, nothing is impossible. And we follow a God who clearly wants us to believe that nothing is impossible in him. A little bit of faith, the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Nothing is impossible. So as I said, the text from my talk this morning is Nehemiah 3, which clearly shows us that teamwork that is involved when God gives you a monumental task. Now, I understand that Nehemiah isn't a book that you all rapidly turn to in your Bibles, particularly for a study that you want to do, so a little bit of context is probably required. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, who was the ruler of Persia. One of his brothers came to visit him and told him of the condition of the walls in Jerusalem that left the inhabitants there vulnerable to attack. And God placed it on Nehemiah's heart to go back and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So he asked the king of Persia for permission and for materials. Now there's a bold move. I'm going to ask the king of another nation to fund the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And guess what? Nothing is impossible. The king said, yes. So Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem. When he got back there, he quietly surveyed the situation and started the project. I am going to be merciful to you this morning, and we're not going to read all 32 verses. I will, however, give you a bit of a summary so that you understand what was going on and what God has to say to us this morning or what I believe God has to say to us this morning. The 32 verses describe tasks that were given to different teams. It includes the many gates and sections of the wall between those gates. Now, as a professional project manager, I find this stuff incredibly interesting, but I can understand if, as you first read this wonderful chapter it seems a trifle boring. Kind of like reading, as I said, all the begats found in Genesis. In fact, whilst researching this sermon, I noted that one writer called it a colourless memorandum of assignments. This sounds a lot like a project manager early in the project as the plans are developed and the foundations are laid. It is only when the building begins to rise from the foundations that the anticipation begins to build. But this church knows how important it is that this unseen foundation in Christ our cornerstone or is Christ our cornerstone and that we are living stones who then form the church based entirely upon the design and the strength of our foundation. Throughout the entire 32 verses there is a clear pattern. It's a pattern of teamwork We know that all scripture is inspired by God and good for teaching and I believe that one of the lessons that God wants us to see in this scripture is the concept of everybody working towards a common goal to further his kingdom here on earth and in particular for us here at The Rock and the Redlands and wider community. A few weeks ago, Jeanette and I were fortunate enough to be able to attend the We Are Messengers concert. Anyone else get to go to the We Are Messengers concert? 
No? Oh, absolutely awesome. I would encourage you the next time they come back, and they will come back, to go. It is just amazing. An amazing spirit-fueled night. It was just beyond belief. I mean, it is so wonderful to see a world-renowned group of rock musicians stand up, incredibly talented individuals, stand up in front of 1,200 people and declare Christ as their Lord and then sing about it and sing about all the positives and negatives that come along with that. It's just absolutely amazing. Now, Jeanette and I were fortunate enough that our tickets enabled us to attend a Q&A session with the band's lead singer, who Richard is Northern Irish, even though he's lived in Nashville for 20 years. If you can imagine somebody saying y'all in an Irish accent, that's what it was. Um, And one of the questions he got asked by the group of people that were there in this Q&A is, what keeps a Christian band together? Now, we could translate that to say, what keeps a church team together? And this was Darren Mulligan's good Irish name. This was his answer. He started listing things off. Kindness. Simply saying please and thank you to other members of the church when they do something that is extraordinary. And let me tell you, we have volunteers and team members in this church who do extraordinary things every day of the week and don't want to draw attention to themselves. We need to show them kindness. Decency. Now, he expressed decency in a way that I've not heard before, but was absolutely sensational. Decency is when you meet someone who cannot impact your career, but you treat them as if they could. Every single person you meet. Could you imagine what this church would be like if you met every single person you went out and met, you treated them like they could impact your life for good? or bad, would transform the way we disciple. Really, really insightful. Integrity, okay. being honest with each other, the old absolutely necessary for a leader, surround yourself with those who are better than you, perfect opportunity to be a part of a team. Set reasonable expectations is an interesting one. That's not something that I have a history of doing, I've got to say. I always told the teams that I led my role was to give them an impossible task to do and fund them and resource them to do it. And we weren't always successful, but we certainly were in the majority of times. And the last one that Darren Mulligan said was, Set clear boundaries. I mean, that's not bad, is it? Kindness, decency, integrity, being honest with one another, surrounding yourself with those who are better than you, set reasonable expectations, set clear boundaries. You can do that in a Christian band. You can do it in a church. So this morning I'd like to discuss three observations about biblical teamwork. Leadership, the fact that the team can include everyone, or there is a team for everyone, and make sure you know who you're working for. 
So let's look at this first one, leadership. Leaders must be able to lead by example if they expect others to come alongside them and work towards their common goal. This leadership is evident in verses 8 to 10 of Nehemiah 3, which says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. Rephiah, son of Hur, the leader of the half-district of Jerusalem, Shalom, the leader of the other half-district, Rechab, the leader of the Becherath district, Hashibah, the leader of the half, the district of Kila. So you've got a team of people led by a high priest with a whole bunch of politicians. Now we could go on and read more examples, but that gave you a pretty good example as to why I didn't ask you to read the 32 verses. But we could read more examples of the leadership coming alongside everyone else to accomplish this task that had been set before them. We also read that in some instances, this leadership was not provided. Verse 5 says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. So it's pretty clear that from the example set by the men of Tekoa that your role as a team member is not to blame lack of success of your team on poor leadership, but to get on with the task and focus on the fact that you are doing it for God and not for the team. Poor leadership can never be blamed for lack of success in a church environment. We need to ensure that God remains the focal point for our endeavours And to do so ensures that the work done by your team integrates into the work done by others, just like the men of Tekoa did, that led to a successful achievement of the task. Those that had been given the role of leadership within the Hebrew community were willing to work with others. Now, they could have said, wait a minute here, mate. We were here long before you got here. We're in charge around here and what we say goes. But they didn't. They could see that the goal was the good for all and that it was God-ordained through Nehemiah. They led the people by their example. We have leaders who lead by example. Many years later, Jesus modelled this type of leadership for us. One such example is in John 13. All of his team, the 12 men that Jesus had chosen to spread the good news to the world were in a small room on the top floor of a house in Jerusalem. The custom of the day was to wash the feet of anyone who came into your house. This was the most degrading task and was normally allocated to the lowliest of slaves. But that's not what we see here. It was Jesus who got up and took his cloak off and tied a towel around himself. He poured water into a basin and went around to each of his disciples, knelt down and washed their feet. Then, after he was finished, he asked them if they understood what he had just done. He told them that this is an example I want you to follow as you lead people to me. Everyone hear that? This is an example I want you to follow when you lead people to Christ. He wanted his team to go and tell the world about him, about his message of forgiveness of sin and love for all mankind. He knew that his team would follow the example he set as their leader for if they were to show the world the love of Jesus, they had to serve the world first. 
The teamwork within the Rock Church starts with Jesus and then the ones that God has currently placed in leadership roles. But God has a leadership role for every member of this church if you are willing to commit yourself, learn from the current leadership team and then step up. And we need people who want to be in teams and who want to step up to leadership. If we are a church, if we as a church are to encourage and develop those that we meet in our workplace or our community to become committed followers of Jesus, our current and future leaders have got to step up to leading teams. So teamwork starts with leadership. Another observation is that the team must be able to include everyone. There can be no exclusions. Reading through Nehemiah 3, you'll see that another common theme is phrases like next to him, after him, next or after them is used 28 times in 32 verses. This was teamwork on steroids. The team members didn't walk around trying to find their niche. They knew that when it comes to the work of the Lord, there is no place for sitting on the couch and watching others. Friends, there is a place for each and every one of you in a team here at the Rock Church. The Hebrew people brought a multitude of skills and personalities to the task. As you read through Nehemiah, you find the high priests, regular priests, supervisors, stonemasons, armourers, merchants, farmers, goldsmiths, even perfume makers. You can imagine how good a perfume maker is at laying bricks and stones in a wall. Would have smelt nice, though. In addition, with this being a construction project, you would have thought that it would be based, teams would have been all about men. But in verse 12 we read, Shalom, son of Halashesh, not real good with the names, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Now, who knows this was an invite-your-daughter-to-work day. These were women who were willing to work and work hard. And we have so many women in our church who epitomise this willingness and strength, but we can always use more. Everyone was a part of the team. It doesn't matter what the project is, we need everyone to be involved. We achieve more when we work together as a team, combining our efforts and supporting one another. As we strive to be faithful to our mission statement here at The Rock, everyone has an opportunity to be a part of a team and we need everyone. We have carpenters, painters, cabinet makers, accountants, teachers, people who work in the legal profession. We have carers, bankers and public servants, people who work in the medical profession, truck drivers. When it comes to diversity, we could be the poster child for diversity. Interestingly... In the teams I lead, we talk about diversity a lot nowadays and that is often related directly to the percentage of females who are on a particular team. Well, that's not diversity. Diversity is about cognitive diversity. It's about making sure that your team is involved or has members who think differently. What I don't want is people who think just like me as a leader and are just yes-men. What I want is somebody who will question what I ask them to do. Or if they have a better way of doing it, they'll put their hand up. It's important that that is a principle of the way we do leadership and teamwork. 
Just like Nehemiah needed everyone to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, we need everybody to build this church for our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We need it to be built so that it can be a place of safety for the lost. It must become a place of refuge for all who come here to hear the word and worship God. And we and the teams that we build make that possible. It's evident that if we want to accomplish anything for God, it will take teamwork and we have numerous teams that are seeking additional members. You might want to start, if you knew or if you haven't yet done it, start just by becoming a member of a life group. Here is an opportunity every week for you to sit down with a small group of people who you can grow trust in and share your deepest secrets with, knowing that they will accept those in the name of the Lord. And they're just as broken as you are. They're just as sinful as you are. But together, we are stronger in him. There's youth, young adults, prayer, mainly music, rock kids, food link, days for girls, freezer food ministry, welcomers, communion ushers, worship, sound desk, Somebody even mentioned uh, yesterday that there might even be an opportunity to start a group of people who help those who can't look after their own homes. So maybe cleaning or mowing or whatever it is. There's opportunities out there to start new outcomes, if that's what you want to do. And we'll be supportive of it, as long as your focus is on other members of the church and on serving God. Two pretty simple principles. Please don't be backwards in offering your support as an active team member. And the last observation that I want to make is that they knew who they were working for. Listen to verse 1 again. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it. They started the work and they dedicated it. The King James Version says they consecrated the work, which literally means to associate it with the sacred. They dedicated their work to God. That was the first thing they did. They realised that they were, in essence, not working for Nehemiah, but working for God. And we need to do the same. So as I close this morning, ask yourself, if you're an active team member here at The Rock, Are you one of the 20% or are you allowing the 20% to do 80% of the work? We must make sure in planning and implementing our mission and vision here at The Rock that we consecrate our work. That is well led and that everyone has the opportunity to exercise their God-given skills within a team. Secondly and most importantly, do you know who you're working for? Any success we have will be for the honour and glory of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He is the one that we all serve. Can you truly say that you serve Jesus this morning? In order to serve him, you must know him. Now, Jesus told Nicodemus that in order to have a relationship with him, he must be born again. Have you experienced that birth, that new birth? If not, please make sure you come forward after the service, the prayer team will be more than willing to pray with you. So let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the Rock Church. We thank you for bringing us all
as team members together to fulfil the vision that you have put into Pastor Sean's heart. We do not want to run this race by ourselves. We realise that even though we can do a part of the assigned task, the greatest results can only be achieved within a team. Lead our team, we pray, and ourselves, so that the maximum power can be released through us to a world that desperately needs Jesus. Give all of our church members the courage to stand up to be a team member and acknowledge that in doing so they work for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.